My assumption is that you uh, can say yes and amen to many of the lyrics that we've sung this morning, um, but sitting on God's faithfulness, and then uh, what a great lyric, um, I've seen you move, um, and I believe you'll do it again. Now, here's what I love about the, that particular line in that song, I believe that you'll do it again. In other words, there's no guarantee for the writer. It's faith. It's stepping out. It's risking. I don't know where you are currently in life. I don't know where your business is. I don't know where your family is. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know where you are in many different aspects. But I do know this. Every one of us here have a choice to make, and that is whether or not I will choose to trust that God will do what God does. We can pray. We can do everything that we are called to do, that we are responsible to do. At the end of the day, though, but God calls us to ultimately, yes, to be faithful in all those other things, pray, et cetera, um, believe. Believe that he will do what only he can do. Is that the story of your life? Or do you tend to be more like me? It says, God, I like it when I have small things to trust you deeply in. I don't want big things to trust you in. I want to be able to pull that off on my own. I want my hard work and ingenuity and dedication and charisma, et cetera. I want that to be the reason that I... The small things, that's good. That makes me feel better about me. It's the big things. And what I mean by big is this, not necessarily scope. What I mean is how much of your heart does it take up? Trusting God with your spouse. Trusting God with your child. Trusting God with your business. Trusting God with your future. Those things which take up a lot of our time, effort, energy, passions, etc. I've seen you move, and I believe that you'll do it again. Daniel is the book that we are making our way through, and Daniel's not the only character in the book that's called to have faith in here, but the second half of chapter 2, what a great, great opportunity for a king to choose to trust God. What a great opportunity for Daniel. You remember what's happened thus far um, in the book is that uh, Daniel and the others and his friends have been taken by this government that has now marched in, taken over. It's a, it's a new day, a new sheriff in town, and they've taken the best and the brightest and they've tried to invest in them so that they can long-term, over the long haul, use these guys I mean, that are, um, uh, I was about to say, Hebrew nationals. And that reminded me of a hot dog. Apparently, you like those as well. They are the best hot dogs that are out there, by the way. Uh, these uh, young men um, that are Hebrews, uh, <laughs> I've lost where I was going. <clears throat> and what they're going to do is train them into their mindset. That's what they're going to do. Train them so that they can be uh, most influential amongst all the rest of the Hebrews. Now, these guys had an opportunity early on to trust God. They said, um, hey, this diet that you're asking us to eat right now, we're not going to do it. And we're not going to do it because ultimately it means that we're going to be placing our hope and faith and trust in your way and in you rather than in God and in his way. So Daniel has an opportunity. He's been promoted. Uh, he, He now has an opportunity to do something that no other person could do. If you recall, what's taking place is, The king has had a dream, and it has disturbed him so greatly. And so he's woken up from this dream, and he said, all right, here's what needs to happen. All of you wise men, magicians, astrologers, et cetera, you guys need to tell me what it is that I dreamed, because I believe he personally forgot it. 
think you had little snippets of it, but most, most of us would do the same thing. You have bizarre dreams. You think, I got a portion of that. And for some reason, it was just weird. I mean, so I can't remember the whole thing. I think this is what's going on with the king. He doesn't really fully remember. So he reaches out. He just knows he's so disturbed in his heart and says, you guys have to tell me what the dream is. And then you got to tell me what it means. And if you don't do that, I'm going to kill you. A very, very realistic expectation. Kelly Jackson last week, great job of taking us to how unrealistic that expectation actually was, in fact. So now Daniel hears about this, and Daniel makes his way in. Now, I want to just give you very, very briefly three reasons why we're going through the book of Daniel. This is a reminder to us. Number one, the book of Daniel reminds us that God is always in control. Number two, the story of Daniel reveals that two kingdoms are fighting for control. Number three, the people of Daniel show us it is always better when the Spirit of God has control. These are the three reasons why we're making our way through this book of Daniel at this particular time. We can always trust God because he is always working. We said in the past, Todd said this to us, and I loved it. We are all challenged to stand out for Jesus in the right ways, at the right time, for the right reasons. And last week, no man on earth can meet the king's demands, but our God in heaven makes all things possible. This particular king is disturbed. Now, why is he disturbed? Because he knows in the depths of his heart, something is touching at his personal reign. Now, hear me. He is concerned that his own kingdom is about to fall. Are you concerned that your kingdom is about to fall? Kingdoms can be on a massive scale or they can be on a smaller scale. But again, it's not so much the size of the external size of the kingdom. It's the size of our heart that it takes up. Is your kingdom thriving, flourishing, or is it about to fall? Humanity gives us a long record of people that are, are pursuing the rising of a kingdom. And then when their kingdom falls, man, it leads them out of hope and into despair. That's what's going on in the king's heart right now. He just knows that he's dreaming. He can't quite figure out what it is, but he knows that it means that his future is at risk. We all hope and despair when kingdoms rise and fall. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Daniel chapter 2. And if you get tired standing for a lengthy period of time, then just keep your seat. If you're able to, then stand as we will read a fairly significant section of Daniel chapter 2. Now, I'm not going to read throughout the whole thing, and then I'm actually going to skip around, but I'll warn you when we do. Beginning in verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king. Skip down to verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Baltashazar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No, wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, 
And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Skip all the way down to verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. You may be seated. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, you know what's coming up in chapter 3, one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. It's a story of some guys that are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But what happens right before them? And why does Daniel, the author, put those two stories, these two stories in, in conject, uh, conjunction with one another? Right before this, Daniel has prayed. You remember he prays, he goes to his friends and he says, hey, you guys pray also, pray that we get this insight from God, pray that he reveals the dream to me and then I can go in and share it with the king. And so they pray, they, they, they pray and God answers the request and then Daniel, as a result of God revealing what this dream is and what it means, then prays this, this long recorded prayer there in the first half of chapter two. Ah, it's a great one. Right after this prayer, then it tells us in here what he does. What does he do? He goes straight into this guy named Ariok. He says, I want you to get me a meeting with the king. And notice this first section uh, that we have in there. This is where some men are going to be spared in verses 24 through 30. And there are, there, are, there are scriptures point out for us what it is that man can do. Notice the three things. Number one, notice Daniel's compassion for people. He says, do not destroy these people. Now, this is kind of gutsy. But Daniel is familiar with God. He's familiar with uh, having dreams being interpreted. Um, but if you're him, would you have the guts to say, by the way, I got this. Just go ahead and get me a meeting with the king. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to rock it. He's going to hear. He's going to understand. God has been faithful to me. So just get me in front of the king, and I promise you things are going to work out. He gets in front of the king, in front of Ariok. Ariok, get me there. Don't waste the lives of these men. Now, does Daniel do this because these men have been living such good and godly lives? Is it because of their future service that they'll be able to provide for the kingdom of God? Daniel just does this because he is reflecting the heart of God. Just spare them. There is no need for useless bloodshed. Arioch then does something interesting. Notice his obsession with credit there in verse 25. Notice he brings him in, and in haste he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. You got to love this. Daniel goes to him and says, I want you to know, I don't want anybody to die. So I'm going to go in. Just get me a meeting. I'll go in and let the king know. Ariok comes in. He says this. O king, let it be known 
that I have found someone for you. In other words, king, you can always count on me. I'm the guy who produces results. And let's be honest, these are the kind of people that we like in life, is it not? People who produce results. Now, it wasn't really Eric producing this result, but he sure did enjoy taking credit for it. Thank God I would never do that. I don't know what it looks like when your kingdom begins to crumble. I don't know what it looks like when your job gets in jeopardy. What about when your marriage gets in trouble? When your kids begin to rebel? Whenever your kingdom, however large or small, begins to crumble, isn't it our most natural tendency to try and take credit as much as we can? Don't we want all those around to think more highly of us? Oh, I can get the job done. I love this comparing, contrasting that the writer here is going to do. You've got this one guy that, (laughs) oh, king, I have found. And it's going to be contrasted with Daniel. Listen, Daniel has a pipeline to God. Daniel has received a, a, a revelation from God. In other words, Daniel had no previous knowledge of what was there. He's gotten this information, and and, and God has given him special insight. Daniel is the man, and Daniel has every reason to put forth the best of himself to make the king think that he is the man. The one guy who doesn't have the information is the one who takes credit. The guy who has all the information, the pipeline to God, is not the one that's going to flaunt it in the face of others. I've said this a dozen times, and and I mean it. It it is not a stab at at false humility. If I had the giftedness of some people on the earth that just seem to be so ridiculously gifted, I don't think I would ever have a need for God mentally. If I had Michael Jordan's talent in basketball, or if I had Tom Brady's talent in football, or if I had I don't know, Justin Timberlake's voice in, in singing, I don't know, whatever it is. If I, if, I, if I had the looks of whoever is the current male model, I would never in my mind have a need for God. So thank God he made me rather average. The one guy who has every opportunity to use the circumstances for his benefit This whole pagan government does not know God. And the one guy who could walk in and get whatever he wanted as a result is not going to leverage it. Watch. The king is desperate to get an answer. And and he says, are you able to make known to me the dream? There is an insult in the way that it is written in the original language. It's, It's as if to say, there's no way you can get this. Now, Daniel answers him and says, no wise man, no wise man, no wise man can, but God can. I can't, but God can. I can't control the environment, but God can. I can't tell you anything, but God can. 
I can't make anything happen, but God can. I can't turn the heart of a spouse to another, but God can. I can't turn around my kids, but God can. I can't, I can't make my business grow and thrive, but God can. I can't turn a country around, but God can. Daniel is so sober-minded in this. Daniel has every reason to, to put on display how separate and unique he is, but all he's interested in right now is testifying to the magnificence of God. How about you? Are you driven by your advancement in this current kingdom? Are you driven by the advancement of God's kingdom? Are you driven by the power that you can amass for yourself or are you driven by the power of the Holy Spirit to go on the love offensive and overtake the world? No man can, but God can. Daniel was obviously consciously aware of his inability and God's ability. Now, the mystery is revealed. He's going to give to him the information. He's going to give to him in verse 31. Now, what does he say? It says there's this head of an image. It is of fine gold. I'm down in verse 32 now. It's chest and arms of silver. It's middle and thighs of bronze. It's legs of iron. It's feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out not by human hand, and it struck the image on its feet in iron clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, this is the dream. He's got this image. We're not told how high this image is or how tall this image is. We just know that it's a frightening image for Nebuchadnezzar. And it starts up at the top and there is this head of gold. You'll notice that as we make our way through this, it is going to be decreasing in terms of value. There's this head of gold. There's this statue that as it makes its way down, it becomes less impressive, less valuable. Meaning this, the first, the top, it's going to be the greatest of all until you get to this little stone. This is the information. Now, what is the interpretation? Daniel tells us down there in verse, I believe that is 36. And we'll tell you its interpretation. You, the king of kings, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Pause. Stop. Put yourself in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes for just a moment. Here's the interpretation of the dream. You are the man. Thank you very much, Daniel. We're done here. That's all I need to know. You are going to rule over the entirety of the earth, the beasts of the field. It, the known world is going to be ruled by you. <laughs> but 
Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over uh, all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. Now, as to the toes, the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone that was cut out of a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the day, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king, what shall be after this, the dream is certain, is interpretation sure. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now, the reason I read all of that is to, to, to bring a point. How much of that uh, interpretation involved Nebuchadnezzar? The first part. Well, that's all he was interested in. He's not interested in preparing anything for the future. He's just interested in knowing that he is the one that's on top, and therefore now he's at peace. He's okay. But what takes place after this, he should have paid attention to. The arm and the chest of silver. The Babylonian Empire, which ruled from 626 to 539, in which he was the head of on the front part of that, is going to be this initial kingdom. It's the Medo-Persian Empire that came in in 539, and would rule all the way until 331. That would be the arms of chest and silver. The third great power would be the Greek Empire. This is Alexander the Great who would come in and who would conquer from 331 to 146 BC. And then finally there is the legs of iron, which is the Roman Empire, which most historians would date to 146 BC, spanning all the way until 395 AD. Here's the thing. All of these kingdoms rose, all of these kingdoms fell, just as every other kingdom had done before it and every other kingdom after it will be. No earthly kingdom can ever stand forever. Now, having Nebuchadnezzar thought much about this, I really believe he would have evaluated things differently. While Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is resting in, in, the, in his power in his kingdom. Daniel is resting in God's kingdom. Now, Daniel is going to serve not only in the Babylonian Empire, but he's also going to serve in the Persian Empire later on as well. No matter who is in charge, he's going to be at peace. Because from his perspective, it doesn't matter who is the one who has won the most amount of votes in this day and age. It's the fact that there is a God in heaven who is sovereignly operating all things according to his will. Now, I want to pause for just a moment, and I want to ask you a question. What would it be like to be Daniel and these folks, knowing that you have a pagan kingdom that is ruling, and you are called to serve into that particular kingdom? What does it look like 
to serve in Babylon and be faithful in Babylon. Some of us are called to serve in our governments here in Tallahassee. Whether that be in the city or that be in the state or whether that be in, on the national uh, federal level. What does it look like to serve a government that is not a Christian government? Certainly with Christian influence in its history, but it's not a Christian government. What does it look like to serve in Babylon, be faithful in Babylon? Now just notice this. Notice that Daniel and his friends were called by God to be faithful. So the first principle I would give you is number one, just be faithful when serving in Babylon. Be faithful to the country or the city or whatever it is that you're serving, but also be faithful to God. Seek the prosperity of whomever you're serving. It wasn't just Daniel and here's Joseph in the past, all throughout the scriptures. Seek the prosperity of the pagan government in which you are serving. To the best of your ability, seek its good and its prosperity. As often as you can, support it. Don't violate the commands of God in the process, but make every attempt to support and prosper your city, state, or even nation. Number two, be wise. Be wise when it comes to the rise and fall of any kingdom in the world. I want to ask a very dangerous question for us. How much would it wreck you if the kingdom of America were to fall? I want to ask you, is your hope really in God? Or is your hope in the American way of life? Is your Christianity a biblical Christianity? Or is it an American Christianity? Are you one who says, regardless, Lord, regardless of what you choose to do in me or to me or through me or over me, for however long you want to use me or however short you want to use me, for however great you want to make my name or how little you want to make my name, whatever it is that you want to do, God, I am here. I want to be faithful to you. Or are you busy building a kingdom that will honor God in words but not in submission. What would happen if America went broke? What would happen if your lifestyle got ripped away? Be wise when it comes to the rise and the fall of any kingdom in the earth because no kingdom on earth will ever last. Every kingdom will rise. Every kingdom will fall. So to the best of your ability, as much as you can, enjoy every aspect of our particular kingdom that we have currently in the United States of America. Don't apologize for our prosperity. Don't be embarrassed by it. Be grateful to God for it. But don't place your hope in it. Don't let America become your personal security. Don't let freedom become the mantra of your life. Not freedom from a political party or a national rule. Freedom from an evil one. Make that the cry of your life. Be faithful. Be wise. Finally, number three, be assured. Be assured that living for the kingdom of God will always be worth it. 
Oftentimes when you live out the values of the kingdom of God, you will be admired and respected. And at other times you will be ostracized. Either way, God will be faithful. And I promise you this, either way, whether you are acknowledged here in the now, respected, admired, etc., or whether you are rejected and ostracized, regardless of that, God will reward you in the future. And that reward will far outweigh anything that you can receive right now. So be faithful, be wise, and be assured when living in this current kingdom. Finally, this is where we close our time. Notice that a servant is honored in verses 46 through 49. Now notice that Nebuchadnezzar is going to give praise. It says that he falls upon his face and he pays homage to Daniel. And he commands that an offering and incense be offered up to him. He is treating Daniel as if he is a God, lowercase g, right now. Now, he does not think that Daniel is God. He makes that very clear because he wants to give credit to the God of Daniel. But he treats him as, as, as something that um, uh, Daniel is not. He treats him um, as if he is worthy. He treats him as if he is the one who brings the answer. And although he gives lip service to the fact that God, the, the, the God of Daniel is a stud of studs, um, he does not bow the knee of submission to him. And so he gives intellectual assent to truth. But there is absolutely no heart change in here. It is easy to give praise. It is hard to bow the knee. He gives praise to Daniel's God in here, and then it, it tells us that he promotes Daniel. He gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, and makes him ruler over the whole of the province of Babylon and chief prefect over all of the wise men. In other words, he gives him these two positions there. Daniel doesn't forget his friends. He makes a request of the king, and he appoints his friends as guys that are rulers of sorts in, in that particular area as well. Now, this sets us up for chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we're going to find where this king is going to decide to throw the people that he has just promoted, just praised, just held up in high esteem, has just talked about how awesome their God is. He's about to throw them into a furnace so that they can be killed. I want to ask you to, to ponder, to think. And I... I do not be surprised when your little kingdom turns on you. Never be shocked when a kingdom of this world turns on you. Your kingdom at work, your kingdom at home, your, your kingdom wherever it may be, do not be surprised when your little kingdom turns on you. It has been going on since the dawn of time. And there's a couple of ways that you can handle it. Number one, you can try to exact revenge upon those who have turned on you. Or you can embrace and accept the sovereignty of God. You can rest knowing that his kingdom will last forever. Remember that little stone that we said there's going to be this kingdoms, these world powers that will rise and they will be impressive in Babylon 
I wish we had time to go through all the magnificence of it, the, 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 the wealth of it. It's just unbelievable. Each one of these kingdoms that rose and each one of these kingdoms that fell, there's this little stone that Jesus speaks about later on in Luke. I believe it's chapter 18. I think. There's this little stone that the builders have rejected. And this stone right here, though, is going to make its way and it's going to start at the bottom and it's going to crush this particular kingdom. Now, what does that mean? It means two things in here. Number one, it means that the kingdom of God is going to expand. Jesus is going to, the the glory of Jesus is going to cover the whole earth. We see that happening in the day and age in which we are living right now. Christianity is exploding all over the globe with the exception of Europe and North America. Right now, if you go to Africa, Africa would be the hub of Christianity if it were not for civil war and AIDS. What's happening in South America will blow your mind. We are told that right now in Egypt, approximately 10,000 people come to faith a day. All over the earth, the gospel is moving forward. This little rock is destroying the kingdoms. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean that he is physically destroying the kingdoms. What it means is that when he invades into your heart, the little kingdoms lose their power. And your allegiance goes away from whatever the kingdom is that you're currently serving into the kingdom of God and it's King Jesus. The kingdom of God is advancing in that way. The second thing that it means though is this, there's coming a day and age in which Jesus is going to physically return to earth. And the scriptures tell us that the sky is going to rip open. It tells us that he is going to come back not in a way in which it was missed beforehand, but he's going to come back in an unmistakable way. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And every little kingdom on the earth at that point will bow in submission to King Jesus. It says that he's coming with a sword out of his mouth and blood on his chest, meaning this. He is not coming at this point to offer any more mercy. He is coming to bring justice. Daniel in here had a driving desire. And that driving desire was that this pagan king would come in contact with the God who can. His compassionate heart led him to speak to the king about this coming kingdom. Can I ask you a question? Is your heart still so fixed upon your personal kingdom that you can't see the desperate need of everyone around? Are you so consumed with your life that you cannot see the desperate need of the world. Join into the kingdom of this little rock. You will not regret it. 